0: My name is Keith Cowart, lead pastor of Christ Community, and each week I or one of our pastors will bring a message that we pray will stir your heart. We believe that God is the source of life and truth and that His Word is one of the primary means through which we make that vital connection with God. It's our hope that whether you're already a believer or just beginning to open your heart to God, that the truth of His Word would point you to Him. He came that you would have life and that more abundantly so the gospel of john i want to remind us actually as we get started this morning that as the church was coming into existence in the first century the first disciples preached everywhere they went the gospel literally the good news that's what gospel means the good news that jesus had come that he had lived, that he had been crucified, that God had raised him from the dead, proving that he was, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior of the world, good news. Uh, they, they proclaimed the good news of his life and of his teachings. They proclaimed the, the reality that, that Jesus uh, had come, and through his work and his teachings, the blind had received sight and the lame had walked again, that Jesus had opposed the self-righteous, but that he had embraced the brokenhearted, the sinner, the outcast. It was good news. Sometimes I fear and I wonder if what the world hears from us today is still good news. Jesus was the message of the early church. On the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up under the power of the Holy Spirit. And he proclaimed to the Jewish people in Jerusalem that Jesus of Nazareth had fulfilled all the prophets. All that the prophets had said about the coming Messiah. He said to them these words specifically, God has made this Jesus that you crucified both Lord and Christ. Paul would say sometimes later in, uh, in Corinth to a church that was divided and, and anxious to follow the teachings of man. Paul would say to them, I am determined to know nothing but Jesus and Him crucified. Today I fear that the modern church, if we're truly honest, would say, we know nothing but doctrine And that glorified Jesus was the message, and it's really that conviction that led me last fall to begin to 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 lock into this year to say, Lord, I just I believe you want us to spend a year consumed with Jesus, studying His life, His ministry, His words to remember the good news that is the coming of Jesus Christ. We must never forget that He is our message. He is the way, the truth, and the life, as John would report it later on in this book. I mean, I'm just, I'm looking forward to a, this season of immersing ourselves in this gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, according to John. Now, for some of you, I just a little bit of background, some of you, uh, you know, have, you're, you're aware that there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Maybe you've wondered at times, well, why four? Why four different Gospels? I want to remind us today that there are four Gospels, but one message. One message that was proclaimed to four different groups of people for four different reasons, with different aims. Uh, in fact, let me just show you uh, a comparison chart. I, I, this is one of the best I could find in summary, and I know the words are not, are not uh, maybe large enough to see it well. But in Matthew, Jesus is the promised king. In Mark, he is the servant of God. In Luke, he is the son of man. In John, he is the son of God. Uh, Matthew is proclaiming his gospel to the Jews. Mark to the Gentiles, and specifically the Romans. Luke to the Greeks. And John to Christians throughout the world. Uh, Jesus in Matthew is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. And Mark, Jesus, backed up his words with action. And Luke, Jesus was God, but Luke specifically focuses on the humanity of Jesus. Where John speaks of the Jesus who is the way to salvation. These are some of the differences, but it's one message. But I don't think anybody could read the four Gospels without coming away with the distinct impression that John is unique among the four. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, though they have their own idiosyncrasies, are, are very similar. John is very different. Um, it, it, one of the most incredible things about the book of John is that it is both simple and profound. I, I remember as a, as a teenager, uh, the thing that I used to hear people say all the time to new Christians was where, when they would ask, where should I start in reading the Bible? Almost always the answer was, start with the Gospel of John. And so the Gospel of John is simple enough and clear enough for a brand new believer uh, to to understand its meaning. And yet, it is so profound that the greatest of theologians can never exhaust all that John says. And so John is is an incredible book. Um, Someone said that uh, in many ways it's like Matthew, Mark, and Luke were were functioning more as reporters who tell us this is what happened. John seems to be more concerned with the meaning behind what happened. This is why it happened. And these these are the implications of what it means for us. So he's answering not the what question, but the why and the so what question. One commentator said that the book of John is, it seems to have come from one who was very close to Jesus while he walked the earth, but then spent decades just mulling over the life of Jesus and crystallizing it into this incredible gospel that gives us the story of God through Jesus. I want you to know that the way we're going to come at this essentially is this. We're going to, uh, the, over the next three or four months through the end of May, we're going to work through John 1 through 12. To do that, we're going to have to, we won't be able to go verse by verse, we'll go section by section. One of the things that we're going to do is we're going to separate out of the Gospel of John the great I am statements. Most of them are on the wall behind me. I am uh, the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life, the resurrection and the life, the door, the good shepherd, the light of the world, and the vine. This will be, in a sense, our summer series. And then in the fall, we will finish up with the book of John from chapters 13 through 21. So that's kind of where we're going. But this morning, we start in what has come to be known as the prologue of John. The prologue of John. It's more than an introduction. It really lays the groundwork and the foundation for everything John is going to say through the rest of the book. Uh, Some have likened it to the driveway that leads uh, to a grand and stately mansion. Uh, Others have said it's like the foothills of of a majestic mountain range. But it is the prologue that, that leads us into the magnificence of this book. And prepares us for everything else John is going to say. So let's read together verses 1 through 14. Let's begin right there this morning. John 1 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made by him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right It is impossible to read those words and not be drawn immediately back to the very beginning of the word. Go back all the way to Genesis. In the beginning. Now, it's interesting that Mark also begins his gospel with the words, in the beginning. But it's very clear quickly that for Mark, the beginning was the start of Jesus' earthly life. In John's gospel, it's almost as though John were saying, with all due respect, Mark, we need to remember that this was a story that began long before Jesus ever arrived on the earth. This is a story that goes all the way back to the very beginning. goes back to the start of all that is. It is a timeless story. But one that we understand from history began when God created the world. So in the beginning... These are not, the choice of these words is not accidental. There is no question but that John was attempting to draw us back to those first words of the Old Testament, the book of Jesus, which starts with these words in the beginning. He also plays on the image of light that is so prominent in the first chapter of Genesis. In Genesis, God spoke into a world that was formless and void and dark, He spoke the words, Let there be light. And light came into the world and creation was born. John is saying that God is speaking once again. That God is speaking once again into a world that is darkened and is again chaotic, this time as a result of sin. And God is once again saying, Let there be light. But this time it is not light that comes from a heavenly body called the S-U-N, but from his very own S-O-N, who is the Word of God. When we look at this question, there is no doubt that John is saying to us, in Jesus' coming we have a new beginning, another beginning. And it is not a philosophy, it's not a, it's not a new government, it's not a new religion. God's final word is Jesus. God's final word is Jesus. In, the, in, the, as we, in these verses that we begin with called the prologue, John tells us who Jesus is, how he came, and the two responses in which he was met. So we start with the question, who is Jesus? And that is a question that the world is still debating There are those who are still convinced that Jesus was a good man or a great teacher or uh, a great moral example. To others, he is despised, just as he was despised by many in his own day. Jesus once asked his disciples as they were walking down the road, who do men say that I am? And he still asks that question. To each of us, the question is, who does Jesus, who is Jesus? And John gives us the answer. First of all, he calls him the Word. John says, the Word has come into the world. Now, we understand that words are a means of communication, They are a means of communication. Uh, If you think about it, I mean, we take words for granted, don't we? I mean, we take them for granted because we use them tens of thousands of times every single day. But words are an amazing thing because in these symbols and signs and sounds, we are able to give expression to thoughts, to meaning in ways that can be understood by others. And there's no question that that's part of what John had in mind when he called Jesus the Word. He says that Jesus is God's expression of Himself. It is through Jesus that God was revealing Himself to the world. It's through Jesus that God speaks to us of who He is and all that He's about. There's no doubt that that's part of what John meant. But I want to say that there's much more here, that things that are uh, very subtle to us but would have been immediately obvious to those who first heard this message. Because John was speaking to two, uh, unlike the other Gospels, John really is speaking both to the Jewish community and to the Gentile world, to the, to the Greeks. And, and, he, and in the choice of that word... The Word made flesh. He is speaking to both groups. He understood that the the Word, Word, was vital to the Hebrew people. It was by His Word that God spoke and brought creation into being. It was by His Word that God called Abraham to leave his home and to go to a new land. It was by His Word that God spoke and parted the Red Sea and allowed the people of Israel to come out of Egypt. It is by God's word that the people of Israel understood that God is active in this world. God's word is God's story. God's word is the history of God's interaction with man in the world, and in in the earth. And so surely God had that, I mean John had that in mind as he spoke to the Jewish listeners. But he was also speaking to the Greeks who heard these words. And the Greek word that he actually used is the word logos, logos. And that was a word that had a very rich, rich meaning to the Greek listener. Because to them, going as far back as 560 BC, one of their first great philosophers, Heraclitus, had asked, is there anything permanent in the universe? Is there anything lasting in the universe? And his answer was that it is the Logos that is permanent. And for him, the Logos was the mind of God that controlled the world and and everyone in it. And so the Logos was this principle that controlled everything that is. Um, The later Stoics picked up on it, and then Plato. And and, and there's a fascinating line in, in the writings of Plato, or in the story of Plato, where we're told that once Plato turned to a group of philosophers, and he said to them, It may be that someday there will come forth from God a word, a logos, that will declare and reveal all the mysteries and make everything plain. Do you hear that? Plato said, someday it may be that God will send a Logos that will reveal all the mysteries of the world. There's no question that John is saying in these first few verses to the Greeks. Yes, Plato, God has sent that word. And that word is Jesus Christ. So he's helping us to see that that, that Jesus has come to communicate to us the heart and the being of God. Uh, Notice how he speaks of the word three times, and, and it builds each one on the other. He says, the word was in the beginning. It was in the beginning. He's meant to say here that Jesus was not created in the womb of Mary. Jesus existed from the beginning of time. Jesus existed eternally. Jesus has never not been Jesus has always been in existence. He was there before time began. He was there when the earth was void and formless. He was there when God spoke and brought life into creation. He has no beginning or end. He is immortal. He is eternal. And then he says he was with God. He was with God. This is actually very important in the the whole theology of Christianity because it's here that we first begin to understand the true nature of the Trinity. That Jesus was with God. To be with God means that they were two distinct beings, two separate beings. But I love the literal translation of that which literally is Jesus, the word was toward God. It was toward God. It speaks of intimacy. It speaks of the the loving relationship between Son and Father. It reminds us that God is that loving relationship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, he says he was God. Here's where John reaches his climax. He was was in the, the word was in the beginning, the word was with God, the word was God. John wants to make it absolutely clear that we understand that Jesus is God. That Jesus is a man, but he is also fully God. He was a distinct person, but he was made of the same stuff of God. He existed with God in, in eternity and is God. John also speaks of Jesus as creator. In all of this language, he, he reminds us that Jesus has always been there. And he says specifically that everything that was created was done through him. Now, that's interesting because he doesn't say it was done by him. The Father is the one who is the source of, of creation. But it was all done by and through Jesus. And this is something that will occur again and again in the teachings of the New Testament. That Jesus, everything that God did, he did it for his son, Jesus, and through his son, Jesus. So he is Creator. Creator. And we can stop here and ask the question. What what we can ask the so what question? The answer, the question that John is gonna ask throughout this entire book, so what? What is the meaning of that? That Jesus is creator, tells us that we can trust him with everything in our lives. He made us, he designed us, he knows how we were meant to live. And so we can constantly go to him with the assurance that Jesus knows exactly what we need and what to give us to meet that need. Uh, there, there's a famous story of a man named Charles Steinmetz. Charles Steinmetz was the, uh, was the, the genius behind, John, uh, behind Ford's uh, automobile empire. It was Steinmetz who designed the the, the motor. It was said of Steinmetz that that he could design a motor in his head. Uh, He understood how these things work so well. Well, the story is that one day the assembly line broke down. And um, Ford sent his best people out there to try to get it fixed and running again. And no matter what they tried, they couldn't get it running. So finally, he called Steinmetz. And uh, he said, Charles, you got to come and, and, and fix this assembly line. Steinmetz came, and the story was that he tinkered around for about 10 minutes. And then he went back, and he threw the switch, and everything began to run again. Um, the next week, Steinmetz sent his bill to Henry Ford. It's was $10,000. And this was back at the turn of the century. That's a lot of money, right? Uh, Ford responded to him Uh, That seems like a mighty high bill for 10 minutes of tinkering. Steinmetz wrote him back and he said, uh, here's the breakdown of my bill. $10 for tinkering, $9,990 for knowing where to tinker. He was the creator. He understood. He knew how things were meant to work. He knew how the whole thing was designed and put together. And beloved, I want to remind us this morning that when John says the Word was with God in the beginning and it was through the Word that all creation came into being, what that says is that he knows how you were meant to live. He knows how to help you when your life gets out of sorts, when your life begins to break down. He knows exactly what you need and and how to bring it. John goes on to say, he is life. He was the life. This is one of the major themes of the book. It's amazing to me that of all the times we see the word life in the entire New Testament, 25% of them are in this single gospel. Life is the theme of this book. John speaks of life over and over again. Physical life. Jesus gives us the gift of physical life. Spiritual life. Uh, and and revealing to us that our bodies can be alive even while our spirits are dead. In fact, John will go on to, to make sure that we understand that the truth of the matter is that our spirits are dead apart from Jesus Christ. And he is the only one who can breathe life into our spirits and give us life that is truly life. He speaks of eternal life, which is both a quality and a duration of life that never ends. Beloved, there is such a vast difference between mere existence and life that is truly life. And Jesus is the source of that kind of life. He says Jesus is the light. He is the life and the light who has come into the darkness. What does light do? First of all, light exposes what darkness hides. When light comes in, that which is hidden in the dark is is exposed and brought uh, into, into sight. And there's no question that Jesus, as he came, the brilliance of his holiness shed light on everything and revealed that which is of the darkness. But John makes it clear that he didn't just come into the world. Uh, the word is actually, he over, in his coming, the light overcame the darkness. Uh, actually, specifically, it says the darkness was coming against it. But he says that even though the darkness is constantly pitted against the light, the light always overcomes the darkness. Isn't it amazing that when you're in a truly dark place, a teeny tiny match? can just fill a room with light? Jesus says there may be a lot of darkness in this world. John says there may be a lot of darkness in the world, but Jesus has come into this dark world and his light will overcome it. He is the life and he is the light that has come into a dark world. You know, as I was driving here this morning, I just, the radio was on, and uh, I, I heard uh, the report of the latest mass shooting. I, I don't know if you're aware of that, but in Kalamazoo, Michigan, uh, someone killed at least six people. I'm not sure when this happened, maybe last night, but uh, they were just talking about it this morning on the way in. And, and you know, I'm just, uh, w- these things have happened a lot. And, and the world is trying desperately to figure out what is wrong. What is wrong? For a lot of people, the answer is guns. You know, we've got to get rid of guns. Now, I know I'm treading on very, very dangerous waters here. Can I just ask you, please, don't hear what I'm about to say as a political statement. It's, it's an observation. It's an observation. But it just, it struck me. I, I mean, this was nowhere in my notes. I was just driving here this morning. I thought, this, this is so much what we're talking about when we speak of the light and the life of Jesus. The world is saying, you know, it, it's guns, But, you know, again, just an observation. This is going to tell you a little bit about me and my history. But I grew up at a time and in a place where I went to school every day that had a parking lot around it that was filled with trucks, all of which had guns in them. And few of them locked. I mean, our parking lot was full of guns. Half of us went hunting before we went to school. And so we would drive into school with our trucks and our guns in the window or on the seats. The parking lot was full. And we never worried about it because you know what? It never occurred to us that anyone would ever take a gun and kill somebody with it at school. It never occurred. We didn't lock the doors because that thought never occurred to us. It had never, ever happened and so we couldn't imagine it happening in our day. Uh, just an observation. What has changed? It's the world we live in. It's the world we live in. I, I'm, I know it's complex, and, and I'm being simplistic, and I, and I recognize it. But it's the wor- we live in a world that no longer values life. We live in a world that is glorifying and turning into entertainment, violence, and death. It's the world around us that is getting darker. We live in a world that prefers the darkness to the light. We live in a world that is consumed with with feeding the flesh with giving ourselves everything our flesh desires, only to discover that our flesh is a bottomless pit. And no matter how much you put in it, it never satisfies. It never fills. It never brings life. And so for many and many of our young people who just keep pouring more and more in only to discover that they feel emptier and emptier and emptier, the result is desperation. The result is hopelessness. We we are in a world that desperately needs the life and the light of God. John says to us, that light is here. That God has spoken and said, let there be light. Let there be life we are desperate for life, but our world is looking for it in all the wrong places and in all the wrong things. It is only Jesus Christ who can bring true light, who can bring life that is truly life. And that is what our world, des- that's what you and I desperately need today. And then John tells us how he came. And, and such the most beautiful story of a God who is holy, who can have nothing to do with sin, but who has created a world that is now immersed in sin. And so how can this God who desperately loves His creation and those that He has made in His own image reach them and set them free from the darkness and set them free from the death in which they are held captive? God's answer to that was not to send a book His answer to that was not to send a a written message. Please understand that the Bible initially was not in words. It was the person of Jesus Christ. God came into our world. He took on flesh like yours and mine. He came into the very uh, home field or the home turf where sin was reigning in order to destroy it and to overcome it. We call it the incarnation. John calls it, John spells it out, it is the Word made flesh. The heart of God, the mind of God, the will of God personified in a person who lived among us. God came to us even while we were yet sinners. That is, that's the message, I love the way uh, Peterson translates that verse in, in the message. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. If you want to know what God looks like, if you want to know what God is like, just look at Jesus. Look at his life. Notice the way he interacted with people. One of the things I love most about the Gospel of John is we have these intimate stories of how Jesus interacted personally with individuals. You see the heart of God in the life of Jesus. Listen to his teaching. Watch what makes him laugh, what brings him to tears, and what causes him to be angry. If you want to see God, look at Jesus. And then John brings us to this incredible realization, this conclusion of the the prologue. Jesus is the Word of God. He has come in the flesh. And those of us who have received that message have done one of two things. He says some received Him and some did not. Some received Him and some did not. And that's interesting. When He talks about those who did not receive Him, He's actually talking about two different groups of people. He begins by saying the world did not receive him and he and he, he he brings to light the irony of that that the world which he created did not see him when he came and why is that because the world prefers darkness The world prefers to remain in darkness. And so they remain spiritually blind and can't see the light. But then he says he came to his own. That's a very different group of people than the world. Who were his own? The Jews. Those that God had chosen and said, You will be my own personal possession. Not because you're the greatest, but because you're the least. Not because you're the the strongest, but because you are the most despised. I will make you my own and you will be my own special people. And for thousands of years they had been awaiting the coming of the word of God. And yet when he came, many of them, most of them could not receive him. Why? Because they had become consumed with religion, with the stuff of man that is an attempt to reach God. And so they couldn't see the very one they were looking for. I gotta tell you this morning, I am haunted by that thought. I'm haunted by that thought because I hear testimonies often of people who say things like this. I spent 20, 30 years in church only to come to the realization that I never knew him. I heard the words. I knew the doctrine." I knew how to do church, but I missed the Savior. I want to tell you that we are no different today than the people that Jesus first came to 2,000 years ago. We must have eyes to see. We must desire the light more than the darkness. But he says there are some who received it. How do they do it? By believing in his name. Salvation is not something we earn. It is not something that we can make ourselves worthy of. It is something that God gives to those who put their trust in this Jesus. Who say, I cannot save myself, but I will trust what Jesus has done, and I will believe in him as Lord and Savior. When you believe in his name, it is saying, I believe in all that he is all that he represents, all that he lived, all that he taught. To believe in his name is to believe in Jesus himself. And it is only those who turn to Jesus who can be saved. So I'll remind us this morning, those same two options are before every one of us. I pray that you have already received him, that you have already begun to experience life that is truly life. But if there is anyone here this morning who has not yet seen him, not received him, the beginning of John's gospel is this. Please don't miss the one that you've been waiting for all your life. The only one who can give you life that is truly life. I want to ask you for a moment, if you will, just to bow your head. Just to bow your head right where you are. I'm going to ask those who are serving communion to go ahead and begin to prepare the elements. But before we give you a chance to respond with communion, I just want to ask is there anyone here this morning that would say, Pastor, please pray for me? We don't do this all the time because it can become just a part of the service but I just really feel this morning that that we're supposed to do this. There's somebody here this morning who knows I have not yet responded to Jesus as Lord. And I believe that if you can just take that first step of acknowledging it, it's not about who's looking at you except for me. I I wanna know that you're here. I wanna pray for you. Would you just lift your hand and just say with that lifted hand, I want to receive him today. Is there anyone this morning that would lift their hands and say yes I need to receive him today. Father I pray for everyone in this room that does not yet know you. Lord I pray that you would remove all blindness that you would help us to see in the light of your son the true state of our souls. We thank you for the life that you bring. I pray for those who are saying this morning, yes, I need to know Jesus. Would you just pray with me this simple prayer? Lord Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner. And I recognize that you can have nothing to do with sin. But I thank you that you have sent your son to die for me. That I might have Life and that abundantly. Today, today, I put my trust in Jesus and I receive His life and His light by faith and because of Your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I want to give an opportunity for all of you to respond however you need to do that. I want to remind you that these altars are open. They're ready for you if you have needs. If you need someone to pray with you, please come and let them pray. Um, if you want to come and receive communion, just come. You're welcome to come whenever you're ready. Remember as you come that this bread represents the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for you. And this juice, the blood of Jesus that was shed for you. As you take that bread and as you dip it in the juice, would you celebrate the grace of His life given for you. Would you receive it fresh this morning?